Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Listener, you're listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. On tonight's program, we invite you to leave behind your safe reality and descend with us into the frightening depths of the most terrifying imaginations with audio adaptations of three rounds of frightening fiction about macabre meals, make-believe malevolence, and the dangers of decomposition. I'm your host, Steve Taylor, and tonight I'll be your guide as we traverse the dimly lit corridors of your darkest dreams. Joining us tonight to help bring to life the frightening fiction of Alan Cadd, Michael Waldrop, and Michael Marks are voice talents Tyler Bowman, C.C. Childers, and Stuart Kurth. Now, get your ticket ready. Take your seat in our theater of the minds and brace yourself. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. <laughs> Our first tale tonight 
was written by Alan Cadd and is performed by Tyler Bowman. Without further ado, I present to you Eating Strangers. Do I know what I am? The voice always asks me. Perhaps not in these most exact of words or clear of phrase, but in one form or another. That is the inquiry. I don't know the answer. There's nothing I can tell myself now to calm the internal question. Once I had, and then I didn't, and then came to know once again. Such is the failing of a long lifespan. We learn what we know, only to learn again that we know nothing. The sum of my parts I have become familiar with. I am a lost and hungry thing, an interloper in a world that no longer has a place for me. I'm not hated nor feared, for the citizens of the world no longer believe in me. Which is fair, I don't believe in the world anymore either. Time to me is fluid, so counting the years has little value. There's now, which comes after then, at some point back then, when men still held close to their fire and knew to be afraid of the darkness, I thought I knew what I was. I stood for man despite my fur, my claws, and my hunger. After all, sometimes I looked like them, walked like them, even felt as they did. At least I think I did. Then. I regret it. My actions played a part in causing the dystopia that has consumed the world now. The wrong, the imbalance, and the slow destruction. This is now. And these are the end times. The world is dying, it just doesn't know it yet. In this way, the world reflects the dominant species, a mortal and dying thing that carries on each day in denial to keep a grip on what frail sanity it has left. Anyway, that's not exactly what I'm trying to get off my chest. I'm known to get off track. My fiancé would say I, uh, <laughs> on the dramatic side... The theatrical side, perhaps. She's the real reason I'm writing this now. She's not like me. At least, not in breed. Then, she would have been hiding with her family by the fire, perhaps clutching a sage branch or something of the like to fend those akin to me off. The Native Americans had lots of little tricks to keep those like me away. Well, not exactly like me. As I came here with Europeans, those of my specific origin did catch the native people a tad off guard. This morning, she sat across from me sipping her coffee and posting things to her Instagram, to the delight of her many followers. She's beautiful and strong, inside and out, nothing like me, and everything like I wish I could be. There's no way I could explain why she loves me, it's a greater mystery than where I came from. I've hurt her in more ways than I can put into words. She's seen me at my worst, knows my secrets, has had to deal with me telling her I love her while my breath smells of gore. Her words. That was this morning. By the evening we were fighting, arguing about something unimportant. Nothing worth a fight, but... I'm temperamental and she's relentless. 
so we fight till I feel the anger stirring inside me. The hungry thing. Then I fall silent. This makes her more angry. Typical. Finally, I can barely control myself. I interrupt her with a mumbled apology and walk out. I can hear her yelling at me. She's mad. I'm walking away. She calls me a coward. I stop. My back to her. The color is draining from my vision. My peripheral is already a cast of black and white and gray. I walk out. That was then. This is now. I sit in my car a short drive away from my home near the edge of a forest. In a small parking lot. If you could even call it that. At the edge of a large forest looking at the start of a couple hiking or biking paths. There's one other vehicle parked a little ways from me. A little white sedan that had seen better days. The sun was nearly set and someone was still out in the woods. It rose in my chest. Hot. I notice my knuckles are white. It takes a bit of effort to peel my hands away from the wheel. Sweaty eye. Wipe my palms on my jeans and step out of the car and make my way to the little sedan. The door isn't locked. Trusting soul. I lean into the car and breathe in a deep breath through my nose. My nostrils flare and that other side of me starts sorting things. A flood of information. Some uh, my more human mind makes sense of. Salt, sweat, cologne, armor all, coffee, soap, deodorant, etc. And then there's other things. Personal things. Chemicals in unique balances. By the time I close the door and begin walking up the left path, I couldn't see color anymore, and the woods stood out in such sharp contrasts of black and white, it merely seemed like daylight. The left path was steeper than it looked. This was the one the hiker had taken. It knew. I knew. It was a little ways into the woods, about forty minutes from the time I stepped into that worn path, till the young man in the hoodie and faded running shoes came upon me. And at least fifteen minutes of that was spent turning from a man to what stood in the shadowed trees now. He couldn't have been very old, perhaps not even old enough to drink. His body was nearly rigid, his eyes were showing too much white. It reminded me of a cornered rabbit, only he wasn't trapped, he could turn tail and run. He could scream anything, but he just stood there, gawking at me. I could hear the music blaring and the tiny speakers in his ear, even from this distance. I doubt he could hear it. There was nothing more in him now than terror. No, that wasn't accurate. There was anger there as well. Offense at my very existence. How dare something like me be a part of this world? It was wrong. I shouldn't. I couldn't be standing there. I couldn't be walking towards him. A thing of fur, claws, and yellow eyes. Couldn't. Yet. One swipe and he was crumbling backwards, hands pressed hopelessly to the four gashes across his chest. 
a torrent of blood pouring forth, and he was finally able to do something. His mouth stretched thin in a scream that was barely audible. The cuts were deep, lungs like shredded balloons. He wasn't dying on the forest floor. He was good as dead by the time his body rested there. I stepped over the body, my front legs on either side so much blood, eyes still wide dilated, forever staring, unfocused, neither at me nor away. I could see myself reflected back in those eyes, my true form. True form? As though the handsome human face I wore before was any less true. No, but it shows my perception. I'll always define myself by the worst parts. The boy's body was soft, easy to rip open and eat the bits I wanted. Always starting with the heart, before moving on to the preferred internal organs. It had been that way long enough that I wasn't sure if the hearts were my favorite, or if it was some sort of ritual. Once I'd had my fill, I took hold of what was left of the corpse in my jaws and dragged it away from the trails. Deeper into the woods, I left it to rot and be scavenged until someone came upon it. I'm sure someone would eventually. It was of little concern to me. Nothing within the human justice system did that to the boy. Just a random animal attack. Tragic, of course. I couldn't turn back and take the car. Wouldn't do to carry the boy's DNA into anything of mine. It was, after all, part of a human society most of the time. At the forest edge behind my home, I returned to my human self and stepped from the wild thicket back into my groomed grass. It was almost like passing from one world to another, except I still wore my victim's blood and smelled the gore on every exhaled breath. My fiancé hadn't left, her car still parked beneath my house. Careful not to make a noise, I climbed the stairs and eased open the front door. I made my way to the bathroom, its door was directly across from my bedroom. Her voice was soft. She knew I'd hear. I smell blood. Are you? Tisn't mine, I interrupted. A short pause, then... All right. I stood there for three slow breaths. I'm going to shower. Okay. I rested my head against the shower wall and watched the red water swirl around the drain. Do you need to kill? To eat humans, it asked. It knew the answer. No. Then why? It seems a waste just to leave a body, not to eat the kill. You need to kill, then. This is not a question. I towel off, scrub up my teeth, and rinse my mouth out a number of times till I mostly smell mint and I taste nothing. The bedroom door makes a hushed, dragging noise. It never quite cleared the carpet in the transition from the hardwood to the hall. She's laying there on her side under my quilt, always facing the door from the nearest edge of the bed. Her eyes move up to meet my face, 
She looks a little worried. Always does. The anger from the fight from then is gone now. Now all that is left is the usual love and concern. I rounded the foot of the bed, making my way to my side and climbing in. I back into her, butt to butt. Love bugs. Cute. Don't forget your car, she reminded me. I know. Before morning, she insists. I will. My stomach rumbles. Digesting someone. I know she heard it. I wonder if she thinks on it. A person in my stomach. Parts. The voice corrects, as if it matters. I wonder if she ever thinks about it being her. If she might dream of my other face, of its teeth in her skin. My body jerks, involuntary, as if I can cringe away from a thought so awful. Are you okay? Her concern is almost painful that she's worrying about something like me. Just a bad thought. I can feel her feeling bad for me. I'm sorry, Bug. I love you. It's okay, the voice reassures me. We have a deal. We eat strangers, so we don't eat the ones we love. I love you too. The Angie's List You Know and Trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. I hope you enjoyed Eating Strangers, as written by Alan Cadd and voiced by Tyler Bowman. Up next... We've got a second sinister story for you, as written by author Michael Waldrop and performed by C.C. Childers. Without further ado, I present to you, Imaginary. I received some terrible news today. To tell you the truth, it caught me completely off guard. I spent my morning at my best friend Stephen's house, 
We sat at the dining room table in awkward silence. Stephen pushed his eggs back and forth on his plate. This wasn't the norm. Old Stevie boy usually talked my ear off, but not this morning. Stephen lifted his eyes from the pile of untouched, freshly scrambled lumps and looked at me sorrowfully. I have to tell you something. Well, sure thing, bud. I'm always here for you. I tried to sound supportive, but my worry had to be easy for him to see. Stephen rose from his seat and waved for me to follow him to his room. You've been my best friend for as long as I can remember. I nodded as he spoke. But I don't think we can be friends anymore. What are you talking about, Stephen? I replied. Now that I'm 12, I don't need an imaginary friend anymore. Stephen looked at me solemnly. Dumbfounded, I searched for the words to say, Well, I'm not imaginary. We've been best friends for six years now. I sleep over at your house all the time. I pointed out as many facts as I could to prove my existence. Exactly. You sleep over at my house. You live in my closet. Stephen became agitated with my proclamation that I was real. You came when my father died. I needed someone and you came. My mom said I should start to- Your mom? I interrupted. She never liked me. Does she still blame me for breaking the dishwasher door? We both know it was you standing on it. I pointed my finger at Stephen. I took the blame for a lot of stuff. That's what friends do. They stick up for each other. Look, I'm not saying that you haven't been a good friend. Stephen was back to his sorrowful face. I hated that face. It was the same he wore the day I met him after his father's funeral. He had big brown eyes like a puppy dog, and for me it was hard to say no to him. From the first day we met, I knew we would be the closest of friends. It was hard getting over my father, and you've always been here for me. Stephen cleared his throat and continued. But I'm no longer in elementary school, and I don't need you anymore. His words cut me deep. Oh, you don't need me? But what if I need you? Crushed, I sat on the edge of his bed. I stared at the toys in the corner of his room. We used to play with them every day. Now they were clutter, tossed aside and abandoned. I dwelled on a single thought. Am I really imaginary? I couldn't remember anything about my life outside of being Steven's friend. Why didn't this ever occur to me? I never spoke to anyone else. How could that be? What am I now? One of these old toys? Just piled up in the corner and forgotten. I'm sorry. Stephen left the room and closed the door behind him. The first month was painful. Stephen ignored me completely. All day I watched over his shoulder, waiting for him to talk to me. Even a simple hello would do. Sadly, nothing came, not a word or a wave. I once caught him looking at me. For a moment I thought we would finally talk, but he shook his head and left the room. Six months ticked by, and Stephen never even acknowledged me. I tried to get his attention, jumping up and down and screaming at the top of my lungs. But it was as if I wasn't even there. The isolation wore on me. Grinding my soul, if I even had one. Even the world itself rejected me. I tried to throw coffee cups and hide car keys, but I couldn't move them. They wouldn't budge at all. The world was now stone to me, and I was powerless to stop it. The mirrors stopped working for me. I'm not fading away because I could still see myself. 
I finally found my reflection in the shiny windshield of one of Stephen's old remote sports cars. I looked so thin and so much older than I remembered. That was the last time I looked at that car. I didn't need to know how awful I really looked. Two years pass and nothing. The boy I knew now stood a foot and a half taller, his smooth skin now riddled with acne. I would mock him senselessly if he would hear me. That's what a good friend would do after all. Most days now I spent in the attic playing with our old toys. Like me, he abandoned them. His mother stuck them up here in the dark. Oh, how I hate that woman. She was always jealous of how close Stephen and I were. He came to me with his problems. I stayed up late with him. He loved me more than her. That's why she forced him to leave me. Now here I sit in the dark. I had a thought on Stephen's 17th birthday. It took the loss of a parent to bring us together, didn't it? I came to realize that this is the only way for us to be friends again. We need each other. He'll see. He has to see. The next day, I followed Stephen's mom. I know her name, but I refuse to use it. She doesn't deserve to be remembered. She caused all of this, and I'll use her to fix it. I found something useful in my exile in the attic. I could still touch the toys Stephen and I played with. Items I used back when I was real, like the toys, still responded to my touch. I can't pick up a gun or a sword, but I can make do with one of these old friends. The car started in the garage with her behind the wheel. She wasn't aware, but I sat in the passenger seat, glaring at her. I waited for my opportunity to strike. There, I see it. A head waited a busy intersection ripe from my bad intentions. The car cruised at 55 miles an hour. That should be enough. From my pocket, I pulled a red wooden block. This old friend should do the trick. I reached down to the floor of the driver's side of the car and wedged it under the brake pedal. That should do it, I proclaimed to myself. I doubted I would die given my imaginary nature, but I hoped it wouldn't hurt. These were drastic times, so I continued on. The car didn't slow down as it plowed into the back of the pickup truck stopped at the red light. The impact was far more brutal than I imagined as I ragdolled into the dashboard and bounced into the back seat. Both cars slid into the intersection directly into oncoming traffic. I'm sure she died in the first impact. The second impact left no doubts as the Honda shattered into small hunks of scrap. It hurt, but I wasn't injured. The second impact flung me from the wreckage. I dragged myself to the sidewalk. Pain filled my body and I in no way wanted to experience that again. There was a bright side. Now I could have my Steven back. All these years and finally he'll be mine again. The pain dissipated quickly. In fact, I was left without a scratch. This was good because I had a long walk home. I reached the house in time for Stephen to receive the call about the accident. This was it. I just knew it. I stood face to face with my best friend, waiting for him to need me again. Those eyes, those sad puppy dog eyes full of tears were back, just like when he was six. He hung up the phone and cried. I placed my hand on his shoulder. He'll understand. He will agree that this was the right thing. Stephen picked up the phone and dialed a number. 
My mom just passed away. I don't want to be alone. Could you come over? But you're not alone. I'm here. Can't you see me? He didn't respond. For the next 20 minutes, I talked to my dearest friend, consoling him for his loss. He never replied. A knock came from the door and Stephen rose and answered it. At the door stood a pretty blonde girl, about the same age as Stephen. They hugged and Stephen cried on her shoulder. No. No, no! I screamed. This isn't fair! He needs me! He needs his best friend! The two sat on the couch holding hands and talking. Stephen told her about every important thing in his life. Everything except me. I clenched my teeth and shook in a fit of rage. I screamed in his face. You're mine! She can't steal you! She can't have you! He wouldn't listen. That night I raged and threw everything I could in the attic, smashing toys into boxes of Christmas ornaments and old framed family portraits. My torment wasn't hurt by Stephen because he wasn't at home. He was out with her, the new her. I hid myself away in the attics for what seemed to be an eternity. He threw me away. He doesn't want me back. I can't leave him. I know that. We're the same, he and I. I must show him. The dust came to rest on me. Layer after layer piled up like a sheet. My zen-like trance helped me to think clearly. I focused on my past and considered my present. The future took shape and formed before me. It was then I knew what I must do. If I can't be with Steven, I can be like him. More specifically, I could make him like me. He has left me lonely and abandoned, so I will do the same for him. It may not happen all at once, but after I tear everyone he will ever love away from him, he'll understand. Maybe after the death of a few wives or a child, he'll lose hope. In this way, we will be together again. Who knows, after he suffered long enough, maybe he will need me again. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. I hope you enjoyed Imaginary, as written by Michael Waldrip and voiced by C.C. Childers. Up next, we've got a third and final terrifying tale for you, as written by author Michael Marks and performed by Stuart Kurth. 
Without further ado, I present to you, Everything is Rotten. I will start off by saying it was an accident. My wife could be a vindictive, evil, mean-spirited bitch, but I never meant to kill her. She threatened to leave, but that wasn't what caused me to grab her. It was when she threatened to take my daughter away from me. My little Tiffany. My only reason for living. It was late at night and Tiffany was asleep when Kristen started in her tirade about how she was done with me and done with the marriage. I told her she could leave. That if she was that unhappy, she could just go and I wouldn't try and stop her. It was when she headed for Tiffany's room though that I reached out and grabbed her by the arm. She fought against me and said horrible things about how she would make sure I never saw my daughter again. My child. I told her there was no way she was leaving with Tiffany. That she would need to kill me before I let her take my daughter from me. Things were heated, more so than they had ever been before. That's when she slapped me across the face and started clawing at me. I was only trying to defend myself and I pushed her. She lost her footing and I heard a sickening crack as her head struck the corner of the coffee table. I saw the blood pooling around her skull immediately. I went to her side and looked into her blank eyes, hoping I was wrong, hoping I hadn't done what it looked like I had. I screamed for her to wake up, tears in my eyes. By that point I hated my wife. I wanted her gone, but not like that. It was an accident. I almost called the police, I really did. I didn't kill her on purpose, so I had nothing to hide, I thought. A man of honour and scruples is what I always tried to be. But then I thought of Tiffany. How could I tell my daughter her mother was dead, and that I killed her? Even if it was just an accident, Tiffany was only four, how could she ever understand? I put the phone down and started thinking of what to do next. Luckily we hadn't woke Tiffany with her fight. Still, I needed to move quickly as she could get up at any moment needing the bathroom or wanting a glass of water. I rolled Kristen up in the rug she had fallen on. It was actually easy and luckily the rug was thick enough that none of her blood had seeped through to the hardwood beneath. I needed to think of a place to put her. I couldn't dig a grave right in my backyard. Someone might notice. I had a tool shed though, with an earthen floor, right beneath the floorboards. I set to work right away. The whole process went faster than I expected. Ripping out the floorboards, digging the grave and burying Kristen rug and all, before replacing the boards. Afterwards I packed some of her things and threw them in the trunk of her car. I even got a stroke of luck when I found a nice little Dear John letter written to yours truly, tucked away behind her jewellery. She'd been intending to leave me for months, and in the letter she even called out how she was going to make sure I never saw Tiffany again. Not because I was a bad father, mind you, no, quite the opposite. She was just going to do it so I would be miserable. Evil, vindictive bitch, I thought to myself. I know I wasn't perfect, but when it came to my daughter I did anything for her. It made me feel justified in what I'd done. 
I still felt guilty for killing her and needed to remind myself it was an accident over and over again. But still, I felt no remorse for hiding it. The dear John gave me perfect cover too if anyone came looking for her. I don't know. I just woke up and found this letter one morning. I guess she had a change of heart about taking Tiffany and just left. I thought it would be easy. And for the first week it was. No one from her family who would have cared she vanished was still alive. And anyone who she may have called friend bought the excuse of the letter wholeheartedly. I guess she'd spouted off about doing it enough times. <laughs> I even got I'm so sorry sentiments from some of her friends, saying how I was too good for her anyway. It all seemed like it was going to be okay. Tiffany was the hardest to explain to. I just told her that mummy and daddy had a fight and mummy needed to leave for a while. When she asked when mummy would be back, I told her I wasn't sure, but that her mummy loved her and that she would think of her every day. In the meantime, daddy was here and he was going to take the best care of her he could. She seemed a little confused, but accepted it. It wasn't perfect, but I figured it would do for the short term. Yes, everything was going to be okay. Until the rot set in. I first noticed that around the tool shed, the wooden planks had become covered with mould seemingly overnight. I wondered to myself if burying Kristen had anything to do with it, but quickly dismissed it. I had buried her deep and I didn't know how bodies decomposed, but I was sure something like that couldn't happen. It was more likely just a coincidence. The shed was old and likely had a mould problem that was being exacerbated by the recent humidity or something. It was an easy and safe answer for me, and I told myself I would tear down the shed soon and replace it with another one. Problem solved. Over the next few days, I noticed the mould in other places. In the shower at first, in the kitchen, places you expect to see mould grow in an unkept house. I am a studious man though, and always kept our house clean. I inspected the whole house and I found a rot in nearly every room. Plaster walls and wooden beams just covered in the stuff. Disgusting greenish brown mould. I debated calling in an expert. It was clear we had a mould problem and I knew those could be dangerous. I was afraid. Afraid that if I did that he would inspect the shed. It was covered in the stuff and I couldn't have him poking around in there. I decided to find a way to deal with it myself. Luckily I hadn't seen any in Tiffany's room, so I hoped she would be safe while I figured things out. I had taken a vacation from work, so while Tiffany was in daycare the next day I set about tearing out the infected parts of the house. I quickly realised I was in over my head. The wooden beams behind the walls were rotting, and the visible mould had gone up nearly three times what I had seen the previous day. It didn't make any sense, I couldn't wrap my head around how it was growing so fast. I can remember sitting outside, sipping scotch and smelling that musty, earthen smell coming off the shed each time the wind would blow. It made me want to be sick all over myself. That same smell was overtaking the house. I needed to figure out a way to deal with what was happening to my home. I resigned the next day that I would need to tear down the shed and move Kristen's body so I could figure out what was going on. I didn't relish the thought of doing it. 
but I needed to call in an expert. That night I checked Tiffany's room for mould before I put her to bed. It still seemed clean but I made her wear a mask anyway and told her tomorrow we would be sleeping in a hotel. She seemed cheerful and excited about going someplace new with daddy. It made me smile. I put on my own mask and went to bed. After I dropped off Tiffany at daycare, I would get to work on tearing down that shed and moving the body. I fell asleep that night with the thought in my mind that this was all Tristan's doing. I dreamed of her blood pouring out of her head as she laughed at me, still half wrapped in that rug. She cackled like some kind of witch, wanting me to know that this was her curse. She had done this to me. Her eyes remained wide and her laugh sounded toxic even as her body rotted away. Greenish brownish mould covering her skin and rotting away her features. Her body turning to a disgusting mush of undulating liquid rot. That smell filled my nostrils and I could taste it in my mouth. I woke up in the dark, choking and ripping the mask from my face in an attempt to breathe better. Each wheezing breath was filled with that stench, it was in my mouth and my lungs. The smell of dirt and mould, it was rot through and through. That's when I felt it. The mattress was soft and wet. It pulsated slightly as I seemed to sink deeper into it. My fingers sunk into what should have been foam but it felt fuzzy and soggy and I was able to bring up a fistful in my hand. The stench grew stronger when I did it, and in a fit of sudden disgusted realisation I leapt from my bed and flicked on the light switch. I gagged and retched when I saw it. My entire bed was covered in mould. It had rotted all the way through as I slept. My clothes were damp with it, my skin was awash in grey, stinking sludge. It was more than my bed though. The walls had started to fall apart from being consumed by it, and I could feel it squishing between my toes as I ran headlong towards the bathroom. It had taken over my entire bedroom. I nearly slipped on the slime that covered the bathroom floor and flicked on the light switch only to see it had taken over the bathroom as well. Black patches of rock covered the ceiling and grunge lined the sink. Even the cloth in the shower curtain was falling apart. I turned on the sink and relished the sight of clear, clean water that flowed from the metal tap. I started washing it off my skin and rinsing it from my mouth. I swished water around and spat, only to see black and green chunks of rot land in the sink as I did. I gagged again and knelt down at the toilet bowl to throw up. Even the taste of bile in the night's previous meal couldn't seem to wash the taste of mould from my mouth. It was her. I didn't know how it was possible but she was torturing me from her grave beneath the tool shed. I laughed and cried at the same time at the absurdity and disgusting nature of what was happening. In a manner of weeks this rot had overtaken everything. I knew, I know and I'm sure it was her doing. I cursed her name and spat out more globs of rot that were stuck in my teeth. I could swear I heard her laughing as I did. Daddy. The words came softly and weakly behind me, and I froze in horror. I don't feel good. I turned to see my daughter, her mask off, standing in that rot-infested room behind me. Her skin was greying and I could see patches of mould growing in her skin. 
Terror rushed over me as she walked closer. She was starting to cry and so was I. I reached out to grab her and that's when I felt the true horror of the situation in her skin. My fingers sunk deep into her. She was soft and fell apart like rotten fruit as I touched her. She was crying and saying it hurt as I pulled my hands away and chunks of her flesh fell to the floor in grey clumps. I sobbed and wanted so badly to hold her but every time I made any kind of contact she fell apart a little more. She rushed in to hug me and threw her bleeding slimy arms around my neck. I gagged and felt guilty as the smell of decomposing flesh hit. I wanted to hug her so much but she was falling apart in my arms, her breasts becoming raspy and stilted. Her legs gave out beneath her and I caught her limp, wilting body. I ran my fingers through her hair out of instinct and came away with chunks of flesh and mould in my hands. There was nothing I could do as I watched my little Tiffany fall apart and rot in my arms till there was nothing left but rot-covered bones. That was two days ago. She is letting me rot slowly and live with the knowledge that she succeeded in taking her from me. That even in death she is somehow the most vindictive and evil bitch I've ever known. I knelt at her grave yesterday, the shed now nothing more than a pile of mould, begging her to give my daughter back, telling her it was an accident, telling her I was sorry, telling every fucking thing I possibly could. She didn't listen, and today I can't speak. My tongue has rotted away. A chunk of my flesh fell off my face only a few moments ago, and I think it's nearly over for me. So consider this my confession, or my last words, or whatever you want to consider it. It was an accident. I didn't mean to cause this. I just didn't want to lose my little girl, and instead I lost her and everything else. I'm going to lay in the rot of my floor with what's left of her and hope I fall asleep and never wake up again. I hope you enjoyed Everything is Rotten, as written by Michael Marks and voiced by Stuart Kurth. Thank you for joining us for tonight's episode of Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. As a reminder, Take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and leave Chilling Tales for Dark Nights a five-star review and a kind word. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram if you haven't already. And of course, subscribe to us on YouTube, where you can find an archive of our work going back to 2012. And consider signing up as a patron at our website, ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com, to show your support and get all of our content ad-free. I'm your host, Steve Taylor, and it's been a pleasure. Tune in again next week when we once again turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Sweet dreams, listener. Sweet dreams. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, a production of Chilling Entertainment and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. 
Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted by yours truly, Steve Taylor. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Logo by Craig Groshek. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? We take submissions. Email it to us today at submissions at chillingtalesfordarknights.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. If you enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave us a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to us. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew each and every week. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories including those you've heard on this program. We'll be back next week with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs>